I know you see it. I know you see it. All right, y'all. You have been asking, and here it is, our new logo for Sisters Who Kill. We are so excited. Shout out to contestant number four, Asabia, for this amazing new design. Y'all need a new design? Y'all got a podcast you're trying to start? You have a business that you're trying to get up and running? Guess who can get you a new logo? The same person that did the new logo for Sisters Who Kill, Asabia. She is an amazing artist. When I tell you that... After she won the competition, working with her, consulting with her to get this new artwork to be exactly the vision that we have for Sisters Who Kill was such a breeze. Not only is she talented and amazing and creative, she is the nicest person. And you can get some artwork done by her as well. You see our logo, you know that shit is fire. And you want one for yourself, check out Asavia's website. You can get a consultation with her. She can do you a whole marketing brand overhaul okay sis can get you right just like she got us right over here at sisters who kill so make sure you hit up asabia all her contact information will be in the description box below and it'll be in the description box from every episode from here on out shout out to asabia congratulations girl make sure that you check her out y'all see this artwork get you some for yourself and now on to the show what's going on everybody i'm mara and i'm tez and welcome back to sisters who kill according to guardiangroup.org Sex trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in the world. Here in America, one out of every six runaway will likely become a victim of sex trafficking. Here is one of their stories. Okay, let's get into our players. So we have Elinette Brown. This is Centoya's mommy. Then she also has her pappy. There is Gina Mitchell, who is Centoya's biological mother. Then we have Cutthroat, whose real name is Garion McLaughlin. Then there's Johnny Michael Allen, our victim, and Centoya Brown, our murderess. Our story starts with Gina, born Georgina Mitchell. Now, let me tell you about this woman. She has four gold caps on the top, two gold caps on the bottom, <laughs> and a tattoo on her arm that says suicide. Okay? So. And she's a white woman. She's a white woman. Georgina did not exactly have the easiest life herself. She grew up in a home where she described her mom as unstable due to both mental health issues and alcohol. I think she said she was around the age of 13, and her mom would have her go over to her her neighbor Walter's house and Walter had a relative who lived there and he would take her either to her truck or to the woods and he would like rape her and give her $20 and the way she told the story made it sound like her mom was sending her out to get money Mm -hmm. and so she was like I just kept being like why does my mom hate me why would she keep having me go do this she must not love me Um, and she was like that sexual abuse it kind of makes you go from scared to angry you know yeah so she felt like she always had to fight for her mother's attention, and it was a losing battle. So she started to seek it in her friends and in men. She began smoking weed, and she started drinking herself. She would just take the vodka out the liquor cabinet from her mom, and, you know, they kept it stocked. Mm-hmm. And she said she'd be blitzed, her words blitzed, before school even started. Right. I was like, golly. 
That's early in the morning to be fucked up. On her 16th birthday, she got pregnant. And if you think this slowed down her drinking, you are wrong. <laughs> Gina said that she could drink a bottle a day. She said, if I had it, I'd drink it. And if I didn't have it, I definitely found a way to get it. On January 29th, 1988, she gave birth to Centoya Denise Brown. She drank until Centoya was eight months. And then that's when she got introduced to crack cocaine. And she was just 17 at the time. Along with getting introduced to crack cocaine, she got introduced to ways to come up with money to pay for this crack, right? Yes, she did. And that was through prostitution. So she was like out on the streets. It was hard. You know, I was getting raped. I was getting beat. I was getting robbed. Gunpoint to my head during a lot of these scenarios. Like, this is just life on the street. So mm-hmm. while she'd be out running the streets, she would drop off Centoya over to Ellenette's house. And on December 13th, 1988, she got arrested. And I guess from there, she just didn't return. Yeah, she never picked her up. So Centoya was just essentially left with Ellenette. And she couldn't do anything. She couldn't take her to the doctor. She couldn't enroll her in school. She couldn't do anything that a young child of eight, now eight months at her house needed. So she officially adopted Centoya. And it was pretty easy to adopt her because her mom never really returned. So growing up, Centoya was actually started off as a really great child. When she was in second grade, she was put in the gifted program and it made her mom so excited. Centoya said that she loves to just love making her mom very proud but she did have some problems with like impulse control so one of the things like in the gifted program they were trying to get them to work in groups or you know the teacher comes around and they want to they want you to ask them questions and toya didn't really need that help and she didn't want to work in groups i hate working in groups i understand that but you got to do what you got to do especially in the second third grade Mm. that's how you get that social emotional learning i skipped that part (laughs) we know (laughs) and that lack of impulse control really was getting her in all of these like petty type of trouble so she went to the park and she ripped off the sign at the park she threw a rock while she was playing outside and hit a girl upside the head one time she stole her friend's mama jewelry at her friend's house and all that she was like there was like why did you do it she's like i don't know so then she got in some real trouble once she hit sixth grade she already got kicked out of the gifted program because the teacher said she was disrespectful so by the time she was in sixth grade She went down to her sister's house. Her mom, Eleanor, has two kids. They were grown by the time that Centoya got in the house. She goes down to her sister's house and her sister's husband, so her brother-in-law's truck, he's got some no-dos. You know what no-dos are? Like pills that help you stay up? Yeah, they're caffeine pills. And so she she got them thinking that she was hot shit, thinking she had a drug, showing them off at school. Damn, and the school don't care what you got. And the school don't care what you got. So they called her down to the office, and they were like, look, we've expelled people for less. And I'm sure that they have, so they expelled her ass for having some caffeine pills. So from there, she was sent to Greenwood Alternative School, and this is, like, her first time meeting kids that was actually, like, bad. She had some no-dos, and she was doing little petty stuff, but, like, now she is officially part of that label of a bad kid. And there, they didn't even teach them anything. They had to sit down. They had to do their work and they couldn't ask any questions and so when they left she was just hanging out with the kids so she got in a group this girl named sarah and a couple of guys and sarah goes oh let's go to my house oh i left my key let's just climb through the window so sarah and one of the little boys is in the room fucking and centoya and one of the other boys is just rummaging through the house and sarah's mama come home 
Sarah's mama come home and she's like, get the fuck out of my house. Centoya and the boys start running. Centoya got a purse. The mom grabs the purse and yanks Centoya. Centoya turns around and starts beating that mama's ass. I was going to say, dang, I thought you wanted me to get out, but damn, she beat her ass. Yes. You can't beat nobody ass on their property, bro. You, and so the mama pressed charges. Yeah, she should. And Centoya was sent to Crockett Academy for 30 days, and that's where she was evaluated because she was sitting in the detention center, and the judge was like, okay, we need to get a psych evaluation. From there, she got in a lot of trouble. A lot of the source came from the book, so there's like a time in there where the toilet paper was set on fire and it was set up to be her, but it really wasn't her. A girl in there set her up. And so that was the first time that she realized, like, oh, it's real out here. People are out here trying to set you up and you're going to have to fight for yours. So she started getting in a lot of trouble. She started constantly getting into fights. She finished her evaluation. She finally made it out of her expulsion and she's back into public school, right? So by this time, it's been a two-year span. She's been in the psych ward, an alternative school, juvie, and now you want her to return to public school. Remember, we were like, teachers need to know when a kid is be- has come from jail or come from juvie so that they know how to make sure that that child is integrating well into class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what they did is they put her in a behavior modification special needs class and set her behind a screen and just, like, shuffled her work to her. And she couldn't change classes, couldn't do anything. She was behind a screen so that nobody could see her and she could see nobody in public school. What was that supposed to solve? And it was until she prove that she had the behavior to be with all the other students but how are you supposed to prove it from behind a screen mm, go sit over there until you can learn how to act right the public school did that though yeah so the only time that she ever left this spot was when she went to lunch because you know high school lunch the vending machines go get your lunch come on come right on back and she had a routine i don't know what your vending machine snack was in high school big texas big cinnamon roll <laughs> But mine was the Big Texas. <laughs> Big Texas cinnamon roll. But hers was the Sweetheart Minis. So one day she goes to the to the lunch and she realizes, oh shoot, I left my purse in class. Let me go get my purse so I can get my Sweetheart Minis. She goes back to the classroom and the teacher has her purse in her hand and outside of her purse she has her crochet needles because she learned how to crochet while she was in the while she was in juvie. And the teacher's like you can't have this in class. And she's like, why are you holding my stuff? Why is my stuff in your hand? I hate teachers like this. Leave me alone. I can't stand teachers like Mind this. Mind your business. Why, 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 is your hands on my, why are your hands on my things? You don't get paid enough for this. So Centoya snatches it from her, leaves and go gets her sweet tart minis. And comes back to the classroom. When she comes back to the classroom, guess what? She's headed right to the principal's office because the teacher is pressing charges. For what? For assault. For snatching her shit? Yes, girl. <sighs> Some people honestly just want to give you a hard time. You know, substitutes did not like me. I always got in trouble with substitutes. Always. Without fail. To the point... You, you, it's because I'm a smart ass. You, but don't you, are, you talk too much. Shit. Don't come at me with dumb... I got kicked out of being in a class two times in a row because I had two art classes. How did you get two art classes in a row? Because... Because one, I didn't need another, one of my core classes I didn't have to take my senior year. So I was able to have three electives. And so on this side was photography and on this side was ceramics. They're two different classes. But you got kicked out of both. (laughs) Well, I was in photography first, but you know, we only had that half wall and so they would share a sub. So he had me on this side and then, so I had that for fifth period. Sixth period, I just went to the other side of the wall for ceramics. He was like, what the fuck are you still, now the issue was... 
fourth period, I was down there talking to Paige. <laughs> so this is the third time seeing me. Paige will get you in trouble. <laughs> Every time. Every time. We can go on and on about how Paige can get you in trouble. <laughs> but, yeah, he was like, get out of here. It was to the point I had to have my teachers write. that was like, oh, you're not going to be here tomorrow? Can you write me a pass and not be here? Like, I sent myself to the principal's office. <laughs> What's up? I'm not doing this. After this incident, she was sent to the detention center, and she's waiting to be in front of a judge. They call her in for her to be seen in front of the judge. Her mom and her dad don't even know that she's being called in front of the judge, that she's having a hearing. And the judge says, oh, okay, you can leave. Her mom is at work. Her dad is a truck driver. He's on the road. So they send her dad's quote-unquote best friend to come get her. And Santoya's like, I'm not leaving with this man. <laughs> Period. Because he had already... she's. 13 at the time 12 13 he's already made like sexual comments about her to her face and so she said that she wasn't leaving with this man you are a child not leaving a detention center with a man i feel like that's a red flag so the clerk took it as a red flag but the judge said all right well if you're not going to leave with him then we're going to put you in custody of the state dcf is headed to come and get you and she's like damn she can't catch a break what what state is this your state, Tennessee. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> She's from Clarksville, but she a lot of this stuff happens and a lot of the story happens in Nashville. She's still in Clarksville right now. Right, right, right. Um, so she was sent to Clarksville Diagnostic Center at thirteen. She had to serve sixty days there so they could see where she what level she was on based her based on her behavior. From there, she was shipped to Nashville and then there she was at the Omni Center which was a level three security, which is the second highest security level. This was her first time like really being in like a kind of a lockdown for real. And she did not like that at all. However, it was still kind of co-ed and separating the boys and the girls was by a double wall. Also, students that, that weren't locked up still came to the school if they got kicked out of alternative school. So some of the students there left and came back. That's where she met this nigga named Mike. And Mike was cute or whatever. And she told Mike, you know, I've been thinking about escaping. You know, I don't like it much up in here anyways. <laughs> Let's blow this popsicle stand. And Mike says, you know, if you ever get out, hit me up. So she links up with another dude that helps her escape. When the teacher's not looking, she... Pops out the window, runs away. Apparently, she's a really fast runner. She ran away. Got in the car with old dude. And then the dude is kind of like, takes her to her trap house and dude's like, hey, I'm going to drop you off at Mike's tomorrow, but uh, you know what I need. And for the first time, she said, quote, felt a sense of obligation she could not explain. And so she knew that, like, and then he pulled out a condom and he was like, you know, I hope you escape from jail. You owe me. And she at that time felt like she owed him like it felt like a sense of obligation then she goes how do we how do we get girls out of that because we was talking about that on that other episode and i know everybody knows that sense of obligation and i don't i don't even know how to i don't owe you shit i don't owe you shit or even just being a teenager and feeling like now i'm developed and she was very developed like she had a double d at 13 yeah, but you know, like at this age, everybody so, care what you think of them, and then she probably don't want to be called no lame for not doing shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just so much pressure around what these girls should do with their body, right? And when they should do it, 
And how do you make them feel secure enough to know that it's their decision? Because we can sit there and tell them, it's your decision, it's your decision. But when this nigga's here, like, girl, you know what I want, nobody's teaching them how to say no. Well, no one's teaching the boys how to... I mean, the boys just shut the fuck up. No one's teaching the boys to hold their dicks and, like, control their hormones. But we have to be the ones that are like, oh, no... No Make sure that no. you value yourself. And da-da-da. Yes, why do then I you're value, that value Then you're with that value, right? Like, then if she really wanted to, now does that mean I don't value myself? And then they have that shame attached to it. Right. It's just... It's too complicated. Exactly. And then so finally he drops her off at Mike's. And they have a good weekend, okay? They are making passionate love. Mike is whispering sweet nothings in her ear. Oh, baby, I love you. We're going to run away together. It's me and you. Then the weekend ends, and he's like, oh. <clears throat> My cousin said you can't stay. Mm. So she's wondering. So she leaves, and she's wondering around find, trying to find a place to go. And then she finally walks up on her sister's job. And her sister's like, oh, yeah, it's great to see you. Her sister calls Felicia she back in jail. So she back in jail and she met up with this girl named Bonnie, right? And Bonnie's like, oh yeah, girl, I heard you escape from you escape from here. And I'm trying to get out too. And she's like, I mean, I'll, I'll teach you how to get out as long as you have me a place to stay. Because that was her big thing. She had no place to stay. So Bonnie's like, yeah, girl, I got you. They escape. They hanging out with, it's like Bonnie, it's Peaches, it's, it's a whole bunch of them. They're living, you know, on the streets. Everybody had a blunt in their mouth. They was all figuring it out until Christmas came along and everybody went the fuck home because everybody's mama let them in. And Toya found out she was by herself. So she calls her brother. And she's like, I'm about to come see you. It's Christmas. She goes to her brother's house. Police waiting on her. Back in juvie she goes. So she's back in juvie. Again. And then, you know, while she was out there with Bonnie and them, they was having a good time. This is her first time sucking weed. She was having a good time. And so she was like, I got to get out again, okay? So this time she attempts to pull the fire alarm and escape. But while she was running, she looked back and they caught her. So they had had enough of her there and they sent her to Woodland Hills. And this is kind of where she got a lucky break. Because some this guy that went to Woodland Hills, that graduated, made something of, something of himself. He came back because he was a barber. He was going to do makeovers for everybody, for all the kids that was at the at the center. And they were going to put in the newspaper. You know, they still children. They still minors. So you got to have parent consent. Ellenette said no. Open up the newspaper. Centoya's picture is in there. She called them up there so fast. And then Santoya said in her book that they were like, here, you completed your program. We about to sign you out. And she looked at them like, y'all know and I know that we did not complete this program. But, you know, they don't want to be sued for uh, putting a minor in the newspaper when they have no business. (laughs) And so finally she was out and back in public school. While on the way home from being released, Elinette dropped some bad news onto Santoya. Her and her father had divorced, and he would not be there when they returned to the house. This takes Santoya by surprise, and she's like, okay, me and my mommy, that's cool, I can dig it. But integrating back into public school was not easy. Instead of the teachers being helpful and wanting their students to succeed, they constantly yelled and accused her of any noise or note passing in class. She eventually would stop showing up. She'd do the whole wait for your mom to leave and pretend like you're going to school thing. But what she was actually doing was hanging out with her friends that she met in juvie or alternative school. And they 
just hit 18, so I didn't have to go to school anymore. They was grown for real. Right. Her mom was like, from the first time she ran away, like, from there, it just continued and continued. And, like, after after she went to juvie and all of that, it was just, it wasn't no keeping her home. And she said, Centoya straight up told her, I can't smoke, smoke and I can't drink here, so I can't stay here. Right. And that's... I can't imagine saying that to my mother. That's a child. Because, okay. I mean, because I feel like if I was telling my mom I was smoking and drinking, her her reaction would be like, well, you can't do that here. She so says, you got to go. But, but I, I don't see myself I, being willing to go. I'd be like, okay, mom, I'll stop. <laughs> like, she was well, like, you cannot care for yourself. And I guess Centoya said, sure, I can. Or I guess Centoya said, well, I don't, you know, them kids who think they're grown, they'd be like, I don't have to care for myself. Such and such going to look out for me. Duh, 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 duh. And then right. you become that person who's dependent on everybody else. And you think it's okay at that point. But like. And when you're that young, when you're that young, you think it is okay. Right. You don't see the problem in it. Right. So the mom started getting serious with a new boyfriend, Frank's. And she's like, this nigga acting like he's my daddy or some shit. Uh-uh. So <laughs> once again, she had to flee the coop. She had to get up out of there. So she knew that she had to leave the house. So Centoya was in contact with her second escape crew. You know, there was Peaches, there was Trina, there was a whole bunch of them. And she got Trina to come home and pick her up. So Trina came and picked her up. She stayed at Trina's apartment. She said in her book, she don't know how Trina paid for this apartment. There was never no food at the house. She don't know how she paid that rent. But Trina taught Centoya the way of the street. She told her, quote, you have God's gift to man. You can either give it away for free or get paid to give it away. Somebody told me that once, too. So she was teaching her how to... Fin- really? Yes. You know what that's called? That's called your pocketbook. <laughs> she basically taught her how to get niggas to... How to sweet talk them to get them to do whatever they wanted, basically until they were putty in their hands, okay? So, and mainly the things that they wanted was food, money, cigarettes, and weed. And Trina taught her how to get all of that. One day... Have you ever been to one of those sex... So one day they were at a sex store and it was one of those sex stores where they have like the rooms where you can watch the video. Maybe there's, you know, the, you can watch videos, you can see porn live. It's like a movie theater, but for porn. Sure. No? No. Shame. So <laughs> they go into one of these and Trina's like, all right, so I'm gonna like butter him up and I'm gonna get his money, you know? So they end up robbing him, stealing his wallet, robbing him. $13 is all they got. And Trina goes, so this is the way I see it. We can either do $10 for weed and $3 for us to split some chicken from crystals. Or we can spend all the $13 on food. And Centoya was like, uh, food? <laughs> and Trina was like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, 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 no. $10 on weed, $3 for us to split crystals. First of all, Trina, who the fuck is splitting crystals? Second of all, who, who, who is spit? Who is choosing weed over food? Okay, so I'm Trina and you're Centoya. <laughs> I know. I thought about that. I was like, because I... I want my food. I, I want to eat. The Taurus and me wants to eat. I will. I, I don't have to eat. I will skip a meal. I can do both. But if I'm hungry and See, all I have are $13, I am buying me I'm food. I'm splitting the crystals. <laughs> crystals ain't nothing but a bite. Bro, I have split a four for four. Crystals ain't nothing but a bite. Four for four, nigga, what? That's Wendy's, nigga. We talk about crystals. Yes. And they had $3, so what? 
Two sunrisers. <laughs> Not you know the menu. <laughs> Not you know the menu. Uh, Girl, I am never, ever, and I be smoking. We smoke. <laughs> I'm not choosing weed over food. I don't have to eat like that. I have you. Or I get mad that I don't eat. Like we're eating now, and I'd be like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> eating is a communal thing. But you, don't, <laughs> you don't believe in that. She lives Trina's house, and she stays with one of her friends, Laronda. Trina's house because there wasn't no food. <laughs> no, she left Trina's house because Trina Loki kicked her out because. Centoya was getting older, you know, and she's she a pretty girl, you know what I'm saying? And she's very developed and she was getting a lot of attention and according to Centoya's book, Trina was getting jealous. So Trina was like, All right, girl, you you know, you should go. Like, ain't you supposed to be in school? <laughs> you don't have some place to be. Do you have what you doing tomorrow? You know? <laughs> so she ends up staying with her friend LaRonda, and LaRonda's got a man named Andre and they got a baby named AJ. And Andre is actually in prison, but he was out on work release. So Andre teaches her how to sell drugs. Who, Centoya? Yes, teaches Centoya because she needs to learn how to earn her keep. So he's like, he's got a coke that he's mixing up, you know, making crack. And teaching her how to scale it out, teaching her how to, you know, make her some money. She's, you know, shaking some off the top, making her own money, you know what I'm saying? So he one time accuses her of stealing, stealing some coke that he actually misplaced so she was like you know what i gotta bounce and so from there she starts staying with one of her other homegirls peaches she's staying with peaches andre calls her and is like i'm about to cross state lines with this big bag of coke you know whatever this big this big plan or whatever ride with me and i'll give you five thousand dollars and he was like you know you're a minor so it'll be it'll look really good it'll look like i'm not doing nothing i wouldn't be crossing state lines with no big drugs with a minor so She's like, oh, okay, cool. They get to the Greyhound station. And he's like, oh, we missed the Greyhound. Um, let's just kill this bottle of Hennessy while we wait on the next one. She's like, oh, okay, cool. She wakes up two days later in a hotel, naked, sore. The fuck did he do two days later? And when she argued with him, he basically was just dismissive as fuck and she realized that he raped her she woke up with him yes she called peaches and peaches is like bitch where have you been and she's like what do you mean she's like bitch it's been two days you've been missing for two days that's crazy she didn't tell nobody about this she's put it in her book because i mean this is somebody that let her stay there she was worried about her image worried about what the streets was gonna say that she didn't even call out that abuse when it happened you just Who's really going to be listening to you? Not your friends. Mm-hmm. You know? She's out with Peaches one day, and they go to the gas station. Peaches is like, oh, let's see if you can get some cigarettes off this nigga. He cute or whatever. And so Santoya goes up to him, and she's like, you know, hey, whatever. You know, you got a cigarette. He says, no, I don't have a cigarette, but if you give me your number, I'll give you $5 to go in there and buy yourself some. And she's like, oh, okay. So she gives him her number. She gets his number. She got her five dollars. He introduces himself as Cutthroat, Cut for short, with a K. Mm-hmm. She hits him up, and they start riding around the city. They smoking and drinking, and he's listening to her. Usually, she's the one that 
has to make conversation, you know, make the man feel good, make the man feel powerful so that he can give her what she wants. But it's like a change of heart for once. He's listening to her. He wants to know more about her. And she's like, oh, my goodness. Is this love? <laughs> for real. And so she ends up living with him, but he ain't really got no house. They live in a hotels from hotel to hotel from hotel. And he's got this grand plan. He wants to make enough money to get some dope, to sell it, to become a major player in the game. And then together, you know, of course with her, they're going to move to Vegas and live happily ever after. Sounds like a plan to me. Sounds like a plan to me. This was not a plan because (laughs) in order to get that money, he was... This was not a plan because every time they got some money, they had to spend it on a place to stay. And finally, one day, Centoya's like, there is a man following me. And he's like, you know what he wants? And she's like, no, I don't know what he wants. And he's like, yes, you do know what he wants. He wants you for sex because you a slut like I like it. Like he calls her a slut. He's very degrading using all that happy language. Yeah. And she's like, what? And he's like, go have sex with him and I'm going to rob him. And he kept saying that to her. So she do, she does it. She gets money off of him. He doesn't rob him. And then I noticed a lot in her story. He was doing this a lot. Oh, I'm a robber. We're going to do whatever. And really, she was just fulfilling the... She ended up having to have sex with him, get the money. But they never got robbed when he brought them in. So he was a liar. Usually are. So every time that they needed to switch hotels... Cut was like, hey, you need to go out and you need to go make some money and send this Centoya out on the street to go prostitute, to make some money and bring it back to him. And it turned out to be what seemed to be nice and him listening to her turned into be a really nasty relationship where she thought, oh, we're just having a rough patch, but Cut's always so happy when I bring him money. Mm-hmm. That's just that naivete. Cut's happy when I bring him money, so I need to go out and make this money so that he's happy. But he was... Not only sending her out to make money. While they were at hotels, he put this thing... He enforced a no-clothes rule. So she had to be naked every time they were together. Gross. I like being naked. But there are times when I like having my clothes on. And Cut will always call Centoy and be like, Oh, you my bitch. You my bitch. He barely ever called her by her name. Say so you know these young folks, they like that shit. They, it, that's what she I'm thought. I'm a nigga and you my bitch. Like, I'm and a that's bitch she, and that's a compliment, you know? Right. And so she was taking it as a compliment, even though, like, he never said her name. And I, there's hood love, but, like, do you know my name? <laughs> you don't, don't know my name. Even though he was calling her his bitch in her mind, she was like, you know, that's love. And to her, it made her feel wanted. It made her feel seen. Despite the fact that he was making her sell herself, despite the fact that he was both physically and sexually abusive to her. And he was basically just using her as a pawn in the game instead of treating her like a human being. It's August 6, 2004. Centoya is 16 years old, right? She's smoking and laying around with cut and he's like listen you slipping dog like you getting lazy you need to get on your grind and she was like hey guess i better go make this money so 
she hitches a ride to East Nashville. She's headed towards East Nashville because that's where the pros be at. So she makes it like as far as Sonics, right? And this guy named Johnny Michael Allen, he pulls over and he's like, hey, you need a ride? And she's like, yeah. He's like, okay, get in. She gets in. He's like, you down for action? And she's like, yeah. So when he says, is it down for action? He she knows what he's asking for. She knows exactly what he's asking for. So then he's like, all right, how much? She's like 200. He's like, nah, 100. She's like, all right, 150. He's like, okay, deal. So she's like, you know, we should go to this hotel that's right here. And he's like, mm, I'm thinking we should go to my place. I live alone. It'll be great. She was like, you know, I usually do this at a hotel. He's like, trust me, trust me. It's going to be good at my house. And she's like, okay, you seem nice enough. You just bought me Sonics. Pretty hungry. We'll go to the house. Cool. So they head to his house. And all while he's driving, he's talking about himself. And she says she just made himself sound very important. She says he's like, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a, a volunteer. I'm a former armor, army sharpshooter. Uh, I think I heard somebody say he was a, a preacher or something. He's a, yeah, a ch- youth minister. Right. So just very involved in his community. Like, And I think in her head, she's like... You know when people say something without saying it? Mm-hmm. And I think for her, she felt like he was saying, I'm very important. And you are not. And I think her knowing that she is just a prostitute, like, understand, like, what I say goes. Because at the end of the day, it's my word against yours. I'm a very important person, and you're just a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So she gets to the house. She's sitting at the table. She's eating her food. And... He starts showing her his gun collection that he has at the house. Because why are you doing that? Why do you feel the ne- feel it necessary to do that? Yeah, that's fun. He's like, all right, I got two shotguns. I got this chrome one with the black handle. I love my guns. And I remember he's talking about he's a sharpshooter in the Army. So she's like, okay, this man is very important, and he's loaded with weapons. Okay? Um, and I'm in his house, and actually nobody knows I'm here. I should be at the hotel. Where I could run downstairs and be like, hey, somebody give me, but I'm here alone at his house. Right. With his guns. Cut, don't know where I'm at. My mama don't know where I'm at. Nobody. Right. So she's feeling very uncomfortable at this point, right? So she was like, so at this point, I just start thinking. I'm like, oh, well, can we go downstairs and watch TV? And she was like, I wanted to watch TV. She was like, I didn't really care about watching TV. I wanted to get downstairs so I could sit by the door so that I could make a run for it because I was no longer comfortable. And then even when you think, okay, she's got to make a run for it, going where? And what, like, you know what I'm saying? No car, no nothing. Yeah, just running. Right. So he could probably catch her or shoot her. You know what I'm saying? So it's probably not like she's going to just hurry up and dip out. She's really got to think this through, especially somebody living on the street. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So she's like, (sighs) he's still, you know, pressing for everything. So she was like, you know what? I'm just a little tired. Do you mind if we take a nap? And he was like, okay, let's take a nap, right? Right. So she goes upstairs. They get in the bed. And she's like, I try and pretend like I'm asleep, hoping he'll fall asleep and I can just sneak out while he's asleep, right? Mm -hmm. She says, next thing I know, 
He's squeezing my leg mad hard. Like, he ready to get shit jumping. And, like, I'm no longer on that tip or whatever, right? She was, like, so she's feeling super uncomfortable. And then he reaches back like he's grabbing for something. She gets scared, reaches in her purse, grabs her gun, and shoots him. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Counseling Services. Y'all, we are always discussing mental health on the show, and with BetterHelp, you can take control of your mental health with a licensed, trained, and experienced therapist. And here's the best part. When you sign up for BetterHelp, you can tell them exactly what you're looking for in a counselor. So you can say, hey, I want a black female therapist, and they will find you the perfect match. All this without the high cost of in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill. Take charge of your mental health and show support for the show. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. After shooting him, she grabs, what, $175 out of his wallet? Mm-hmm. She grabs the keys to his truck, and she gets the fuck on. She heads the cut, and she's like, yo, so all of this just happened. He was like, well, why the fuck would you bring the truck back here? She's like, oh, no. So she goes down the street, leaves the truck, hitches a ride back to the hotel. Like, okay, what do we do now? And Cut's like, I mean, we lay low. (laughs) Watch the news. Right. See what's going on. So they watch the news. They find out that he died, right, because she thought she left him alive. They watch the news. They find out that he's dead. And she was like, things were different with Cut after this, you know. (laughs) She said, it's almost like he respected me more. Yeah. She was like, he wasn't as aggressive with me. I guess he was like, all right, Cause so he was she'll at, kill a nigga. <laughs> right, well, because he was really abusive to her, like dragging her around the hotel room by her hair and shit. And so now he's like, oh, you know. She's like, it's almost like I gained his respect. It's almost like he knew she he might, might kill me. He was liable to die, and he might want to ease the fuck up. So on August 8th, Cut and Centoya hear a knock at the door. Centoya ain't got no clothes on because Cut has a no clothes rule. So she hurries up. She tries to put her like tries to put her panties on. She's got some black panties on. Let's say like Aquarius because she's an Aquarius or whatever. And the police Cut opens the door, and as soon as he opens the door, three police shove their way in. They in tactical gear. Get down, get down, everybody, get down. She's trying to reach for, reach for her clothes. They're like, don't fucking move. I will shoot you. And she hears like they them loading the shotgun. Like she's like, oh shit, they're about to shoot me. They pull them out. They have them laying out on the floor. She gets to put her clothes on. And they take her in for interrogation. Now, before this had happened, cut it already put in your ear. Like, if anything happens, you are 19 years old. She had a fake name, everything. But most importantly, you are 19 years old. In her mind, being a 16-year-old in real life, her only mind is, I got to protect cut. I got to protect Cut. So mind you, at this time, Cut is 24 years old while she is 16. And she's like, I got to protect Cut. I got to protect Cut no matter what. I got to protect him. So she's like, it was me. I'll tell you everything. If you just let me go, if you if you just let Cut go, like he didn't do anything, I'll tell you everything. And she goes and she says, it was self-defense. I'm 19 years old. I thought that he was, I feared for my life. I thought that he was going to hurt me. I really thought he was going to harm me. And the police are like, listen. You tell you talk to us, and we can help make something happen. She's like, so she's thinking, oh, y'all can help make something happen? They show, they start reading her her Miranda rights. She don't really know what's going on. 
and she's thinking, okay, something's going to happen. She's still telling them she's 19 years old. She confesses to everything. She tells them it was self-defense, takes them step by step. Cut had nothing to do with it. They run her fingerprints. Detective comes back in there. He's like, you're 16? You're 16? You're a minor? Get her the fuck out of here. So now she's put into juvie, and she's got to now figure out if she's going to be tried as an adult or as a minor Mm -hmm. for first-degree murder. And the leading investigator is pissed at her. Why? Because she lied? Yep. Centoya ends up meeting with her lawyer really often. They actually became fairly... They actually became really, really close. And while preparing for... The transfer hearing, now this hearing is basically going to figure out, is she going to be tried as a minor or will she be tried as an adult? So what her team is trying to do is put evidence together to prove to the court that she is worthy of rehabilitation, that there was something stacked up against her that led to this crime happening and that she should be tried as a minor and yes, yes, do time, but time as a minor will that she will be able to be out by the time that she's 19 so her judge her so her lawyers are preparing her and like Centoya got an attitude problem straight up mm-hmm. she, she does and so they trained her you've got to you can't roll your eyes the slightest roll of your eyes the slightest talking back all of that that's gonna look bad no you're not sitting in front of a jury right now but you are fighting for this is the big fight if you were tried as an adult, you're going to face life. We've got to keep you tried as a minor. Johnny Michael Allen, his family shows up. His fiance shows up. And now he had a fiance. Girl. And a minister. They show up and uh, clearly they're upset. They're pissed. And the DA is calling her all everything but a child of God, basically. And the court decided that she will be charged as an adult. And now, Centoya and her team have to prepare to go to trial. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Centoya's lawyer during the transfer hearing was Kathy. They had become really close. Centoya called Kathy all the time. Kathy was there whenever she needed her. But now that she was transferred to the adult prison, turns out, Two of the girls that were in the juvie detention center said that on the night that Centoya was arrested, Centoya confessed the entire crime to them. And they were willing to testify in court. And since Kathy was a public defender, she got assigned to be those girls' lawyer, and she could no longer represent Centoya. Of course, Centoya was like, that's a lie. I didn't tell anybody about my case. Period. But... Kathy had to go. And so they set her up a new lawyer named Rich McGee. Now, Rich McGee was known around the jail as a nigga that would get you off, okay? So she was really excited, like, okay, I've got Rich McGee. Like, things might go in my favor. Rich McGee was really strict and really trained her. You answer questions with yes and no. You don't give any more information. You don't give any less information. Don't roll your eyes. Don't raise your eyebrows. This is how you look sympathetic. So basically training her on what to do in the courtroom so that she can appeal to a jury. So August 21st, 2006, Centoya is 18 years old. She's, she's been in jail for two years at this point. And 
it's the morning of the trial and that was very interesting to watch the trial like even in the opening statement she's like getting teary-eyed and like I don't know if it's from the remorse of it or the whole thing of I am on trial for my life right yeah. now and it's just like a lot of pressure so they interrogate the mom and I think this is my favorite part of the whole document biological mom or her her adoptive mom okay and she's sitting on the stand and they're like you know state your name or whatever and she says her name and they was just like uh you know are you her mom and she says she says yes I am I'm Centoya's mom and she smiles over at Centoya and I just thought it was a cute and Centoya smiles back and I just thought it was the cutest freaking thing I loved it and like no matter and people always ask like if your child does something horrible will you be will you be able to love them through and I sure hope so she was she was holding Centoya down um, so the defense, they're on there and they're arguing, you know, it was self-defense. Of course, Centoya thought that, you know, the guy was going to shoot her. He had all these guns in the house, you know. They're like, the prosecution is like, yeah. So the way that his hands were clasped doesn't help me believe that she thought he was about to pull his gun. Like his hands were kind of almost intertwined. Mm-hmm. And the medical examiner was like, his hands were definitely like that when he got shot. So this is not like, oh, it turned into that or something, whatever. He was definitely shot with his hands in that position. So they're like, there's no way. So they were arguing that he didn't, in fact, reach for the gun. That they he said was he was the asleep. entire time. Yeah. So um, she had a tough case against her and it did not go well. Um, after six hours, the jury comes back and they find her guilty on all three counts, which were first degree murder, felony murder, and aggravated robbery. Um, and I guess her mom wasn't there for the sentencing. Because so what happened was her mom was there and waited the entire day. And because the deliberation was taking so long, they were like, oh, you might as well go home because they're probably going to resume deliberation tomorrow. Mm. And everybody was packing up and getting ready to go. And Centoya got the news, called her mom. So, yeah, Centoya calls her mom, and she's just like, hey, mom, so <laughs> the results came back, and they found me guilty. I'm in here for life. And you can't hear the mom's side of the conversation, but, like, from what Centoya is saying, you hear Centoya saying, well, calm down. I don't want you having a heart attack or a stroke or nothing. You hear her say... And you're the only mama I got, you know. So I'm assuming her mom was like, you know, that's my baby. You're my baby. But I don't know. You can, there's definitely, like, she definitely loved her like that was her own baby and supported her throughout the whole thing. Right. Um, As you should when you adopt children. Right. May 15, 2007, that Netflix documentary or wherever, they go and talk to the mom in Clarksville. And she kind of talks about how it was receiving the news and she's just like I might not ever have the relationship I'm supposed to have with my daughter like I might be talking to her through a glass for the rest of our lives and that's hard for me to process that's hard to deal with mm-hmm. you know and she was like I think the most shocking part of the trial was the sexual parts like hearing what all she's been through and I can imagine like as a parent she was saying as a parent you, you kind of want to hear that your child is having sex but she's doing more than having sex She's being raped. She's being 
pimped out. She's being sold in these streets. She's paying. She's using her body to buy meals. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I guess it also goes back to, like, how are you being introduced to sex as a child? Because are your parents actually communicating with you about it? Because in Santoya's book, she writes that, like, her first time seeing sex was she was still in her dad's credit card and saw it online. And that's how she watched it. And she was like, oh, so sex is just having sex with multiple people. And that's what love is. Like, you know, you put a credit card in for one porn star and you're going to see them have sex with multiple people. So you you think that that's normal and it's not it. You don't realize it doesn't compute in your young brain that that is not this is a simulation that is not real. And I think so many parents are torn between it's too early or it's too late. But I don't think it's... These kids are smarter than you think The kids are. are way smarter than you think. And these kids... And I feel, my whether mom had the same talk with it or not. Way too late. Right. That's what I'm saying. Whether you introduce it or not, you're not shielding them for nothing. What you're doing is leaving them with questions. Mm-hmm. Because you might as well just I probably, let them know what's up. I probably saw my first thing of sex at five... I think with me and my sisters I found my daddy's porno collection or something. Like you just even as safe as you and, and, and as protective as you try and be, you never know You never know what they're going to find on their own, and what their friends are gonna to tell hear them from you and, and not be awkward with the conversation. Like my mom was also very awkward with the conversation. Like first of all, the, she had the conversation late and she wanted to have the conversation after um How to Love came out. No. Runaway Runaway Love. <laughs> After Runaway That love, is Asia's song Girl Mama wanted to have The conversation About the birds and bees After she heard Runaway love And I was like I've already had it I've already done it Sis <laughs> I've already done it My mom My mom bought us A lot of Go girl go books And it were like The preteen books And they would tell you About like What it's like To have your period and I had the American girl it, books Yeah Maybe that was it American girl But And she did Teaches you how to put a tampon in. Teaches you how to put a tampon in. Um, teaches you what puberty is like and what you'll experience. And, and then goes into that stuff. And then, you know, Yana. Yana is such a reader. Yana was like in third grade reading what to expect when you're inspecting. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course she was. Like we was just digging. We were digging through my mom's bookshelf. And we found old Eric Jerome Dickey books. So that's where I was learning about sex mm. is from these books. I was reading that maybe. Because I started reading that like fourth, fifth grade, maybe middle school at the latest, but probably my first one, fifth grade. So it's it's having those conversations with your kids early and it will take away that if you know better than you know what to expect, you know what the standard is for yourself. You made exactly. it very clear, you exactly. know, and some, sometimes that shelter life, you need to expose your kid to the world and that slowly and that teaches them right from wrong that teaches them impulse control yeah um so then they go and talk to her other mom like our birth mom and mariah does not like this woman y'all <laughs> didn't even want to mention her in this show <laughs> okay so they also go and talk to her birth mom and her grandma and her birth mom is like she's like i don't even want to go see this lady like we can't spend more than five minutes with each other and she's basically like my whole family's fucked up and she's sitting next to the grandma and the grandma's like yeah we're all fucked up she's like she's like we're all she's she said centoya's probably the grandma's like centoya's probably gonna have to take drugs for the rest of her life meaning like 
They call it psychotropics. But the thing was, but the thing is, um, instead of getting her help while she was incarcerated, while she was in all these juvie places, while she was in all these psych wards, they were having her doped up. Like, mm-hmm. to the point where if she woke up, they were giving her more pills. So it wasn't... So how are you helping her? Because how is that helping her? Because it's cheaper than therapy. Um. So you'd rather spend the yes. resources on the back end to keep her in prison for the rest of her life. Yes. Then just push the... use a money system. Then use all those resources in one lump sum to get her the help that she actually needs to be a productive member of society absolutely at 16 yeah so they're just talking and it's it's honestly sad because the grandma was like my mother should have had a hysterectomy at the age of 16 she said because if i hadn't been here if she hadn't fucked me up and if i hadn't fucked my kids up then my daughter wouldn't have fucked her up and she, went, she said there would have never been no Centoya Brown family. She said this whole family should have been cut off at the head. We're all fucked up. We're all crazy. We're all drunks. We all got mental health issues. Well, I, listen. Centoya said that's all fine and dandy. But for as far as her birth mother goes, her first time meeting her birth mother was preparing for the trial. And the only reason that the lawyers brought her in is because they wanted to make sure that they could really get the full scopes that a jury would be able to get a full scope of her background where she came from but um birth mother gina make sure that everybody knows that is not her mother because she is only around when the cameras are around now she does and that's what centoya said i i don't know if i watched a different documentary or if it was just a footage from like way after she was released but she looks like her mommy she looks like she's cleaning up her life a bit. That's um, still in her mommy. But no, no, no. <laughs> you can tell, like, she loves Elanette down. Like, she she sat there and told her on the phone. She said, hey, you're my only mother. You're the only mom I got. So that's And that's it. Like, this is, it, it's, it's all about her. She cared for her. That's the one she ran to. That's whose arms she cried in, whose lap she sat on. Mm-hmm. Like, Who prayed for her every single fucking I'm night. I'm telling you. Just even I'm, when she sat on that chair and she just gave that short smile to her. And she gave that short smile back. Like, it's that you could tell. She was like, that's my mommy mm-hmm. holding me down here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Centoya's story was documented in a short film festival. And after this small documentary someone named charles bone watched the documentary and he was told that maybe he could help centoya and so charles calls his homeboy up and they're like oh let's watch it they both agreed that the documentary showed that she didn't stand a chance at having a chance at life from the moment that she was born and they wanted to be able to prove that so they had some tests done on her and she was evaluated and she was said to have alcohol neurodevelopment disorder so this is basically because everything we were saying at the beginning of the story birth mom was drinking the entire time that she was pregnant with centoya they said that she was seriously impaired and she didn't function like a person and they're literally saying this in court saying that but like calling her mental in court and she has to just sit there yeah she looks like she's she's like wiping and distraught because she looks stressed they're you know that them saying this about you is your only hope but also like i'm a human 
And I have a problem with talking to, talking about people like they're not there. Like if somebody's in the room and you're talking about them. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. That's what these court proceedings are. It's like you're not even there. Like they And then they're text. saying the worst of the worst about you. And you can't react because it's going to look bad on your part. Exactly. She said that they said that people with fetal alcohol related disorders have a higher rate of problems with the law. And that this is something that they likely struggle with their entire life. So part of this could be the fact that she did not have impulse control as a child. That's if, what she said. She said after hearing that, she thought about it, and she was like... There it is. She's like, there's been times where... And they're like, why like, did you do I it? don't do that. And she's like, I know. And then I do it anyways, and I'm like, I don't know why I did it. <laughs> and her mom would hate that. Like, why are you always saying, I don't know? But you don't know to look for these things, and you don't know... Her mom didn't know to that that was an option. And that that was something that she needed to keep an eye on with Centoya, you know? Mm-hmm. She was just caring for her baby the best way that she knew how. And she didn't know that she that Centoya needed that extra guidance because she was suffering before she was even born. Right. November 13th through 14th, 2012, this was the appeal hearing. Centoya is 24. She's been in jail for eight years and three months. Oh, my God. And she was, like, kind of talking. She was, like, around my 22nd birthday, I was, you know, kind of depressed. I was, like, I should be in college. I should be graduating college right now. And instead, I'm in this shithole, you know? But she was, like, I kind of had to get out of that. And, you know, life keeps moving. She was, like, I'm actually in college now. Lipscomb University, they come out once a week. And we get to go to college with actual college students, not just inmates. Like, they, they, they bring regular kids in here our regular students in here and mm-hmm. we just we have class like we're normal normal right so she got a chance to work on her associate's degree and she's just kind of you know trying to stay focused on her appeal hearing which is kind of like chances are slim okay right two-thirds of criminal appeals are reviewed so not even all of them get looked at and 81 percent of those that are reviewed are denied that's just to get to the hearing right and she was like obsessing over her court case like one of her lawyers bought her LSAT book she was just obsessing over it because this is her chance you yeah. know so the lawyers they file an appeal they're like okay listen she's got the functional equivalent equivalent to life without parole we need to change that one she has fetal alcohol syndrome or disorder and that was not brought up at all in the first trial so that's a problem right there right because and not just the first trial, it shouldn't have been. It should have been brought up in the transfer hearing, so she wouldn't exactly. even be on trial as an adult. Exactly from the very beginning, it should have went there. He said so. Due to them not doing that, that then leads us to say that she had ineffective counsel because they didn't bring it up. Thus, fourth, you need to throw the whole case away and give her a new trial. Mm-hmm. And the prosecution is like, listen, we don't know that her mom drank while pregnant. Only person who's corroborating this story is her mom. And her mom is an inmate at the federal prison. So who do you want to believe? Like, she could just be trying to get her daughter off. Right. Like, we can't prove or disprove this, so it doesn't matter what you say about it. They also said it's not the the purpose of a jury trial is not to sit there and figure out what her mental status was her whole life. It's to see if she was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And it was like, we proved that. So the case is done. And the defense is like, eh. But had they had this information, would they have convicted her? Right. And it was like, that's a tough thing to say. Like, it's hard to prove what would have, could have happened, right? But also, I the jury and her uh, and the jury in her trial 
during their deliberation, like they went back and they asked questions and they were sending out messengers to ask questions. So it feels like they were trying to put in as much effort as they can. Santoya said that there was like one black dude on the jury. And as soon as he came out, he kind of locked locked eyes with her and like looked away. And she knew she was like, oh, fuck. Mm. She was like, was he? The, and she all she can think about was like, was he was the one that like was trying to fight for me and lost? She was like, how he looked at her was like, my bad, bro. It's kind of hard to prove what a jury would or wouldn't have done with this bit of information. And the judge decided that it wouldn't have made a difference and she was denied this appeal. All right, so it's November 15, 2017. Centoya is currently 29 years old. She's been locked up for 13 years and three months. And she makes headlines when Stacey Case from Fox 17 Nashville does a story about a new change in the Tennessee law that was inspired by her and others like her. So they changed the law that stated that minors can no longer be considered prostitutes and now must be considered victims of sex trafficking. Because, Which it should have been the whole time. Right, because they are minors, because they are children, especially being trafficked by people that are not minors like and they're saying so, cutthroat was 24 years old so before where they were like uh you agreed to sell your body and you knew you was out here prostitute and now they're like okay if a minor can't consent then a minor also can't prostitute but i feel like that logic was should have always been there right 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 so this of course was inspired by the rise of the me too movement and this story was shared by many celebrities of course y'all saw it like rihanna was sharing i remember when it came out and like lana del rey all of them centoya only had one option left because she was denied 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 and that only thing that she had left was to ask the governor for clemency this is not an option unless you have literally exhausted all options available and at this point Centoya had exhausted every single option that there could have been. On December 19, 2017, she filed her petition for clemency to the governor and to the Board of Parole. Her request began with a letter from her that basically said what she wanted, that she wanted her sentence to be commuted to 15 years for second-degree murder and as a range one offender. The next letter was from the president of Liskin University, which is where she got her associate's degree. And while she was getting her associate's degree, she had a 4.0 GPA. So that letter also looked amazing. Other letters included from teachers from Lipscomb, advocacy groups, other students that she was in class with. And the psychiatrist who first evaluated her reexamined her and said that she seemed to have really grown up both mentally and socially like she's no longer a child she's now 29 years old and it just seems like she's matured in a way that she will be a good member of society that's what she's trying to do she's trying to show the governor that she has been rehabilitated that she can turn her life around and just appeal to the fact that this new terminology is now being used she's no longer considered a prostitute on the street that killed a man she was a minor that was a victim of sex trafficking. And now that the state is recognizing that, she's hoping that the governor will recognize that in her particular case. Right. If her charges are dropped down to secondary murder, then she'll have a max of 15 years, which will make her eligible for, for parole. So she's really hoping for that clemency from the governor. Right. So it's May 23rd, 2018, and it is finally time for the parole hearing. She's 30 years old. Been in there for 13 years and nine months. And she just kicks it off like, hey, just want to let y'all know I'm very sorry for what I did, you know. Um, 
at this point, I have no choice but to live a different life because I can't be who I was before. Um, whatever you decide, I respect it. You're just giving me mercy just by hearing my case. I just hate how much these people have to grovel to the. I was judge. about to say because no, I'm not gonna respect what you what you what you. No, let me the fuck off. Let me <laughs> let me out of here. I said I'm sorry. Shit. Now I gotta. Now I have to tell you this whole thing. I said I'm. I, I, I hate having to kiss people's ass. Ugh. I hate. I'm not it. gonna respect your decision if it doesn't go in my way. She has a lot of people speaking for her at this hearing. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the former appellate prosecutor from when she filed the appeal case like 10 years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy gets up there and he was like, so, you know, I work in the Office of Appeals and this case came across my desk and I was like, yeah, no, keep her in jail. <laughs> and he's like, a week later, the letter comes back saying that they decided, he was like, that was just my recommendation. A week later, the letter comes back saying they decided to keep her in jail. And that's when he gets to view the name. I guess it's anonymous or something. But he was like, it wasn't until he got the decision back and he saw the name was Centoya Brown. He was like, so then later that week, I'm going to school with my classmate, Centoya Brown, realizing that in this little hybrid program that I'm in in Lipscomb University, I just ruled or suggested that my classmate this this smart wonderful classmate that I sit here and enjoy you know like she she's a beam of light in this class or whatever she just wants to do good work and I just said no she shouldn't go and he was like we talked about it for a little bit I said I'm sorry she said she understood but he was like I can just imagine what it was like and he was like now I'm here 10 years later and I'm telling you she don't deserve to be here like but imagine if Back then, everybody would have paid the same amount of attention to that case as they are as they are at this point. Because mm-hmm. it honestly feels like time wasted. I mean, she's grateful, but me, on the other hand, it's not good enough. No, it's not. Um. So then, her former public attorney, I guess this is Kathy, who was her attorney while she was in the children's court. Court. So she was like. I believe we shouldn't even be here in the first place, you know. Children's cases should be reviewed after a certain number of years, and from there they should look at what they've done in the system and how they've acted and then decide if they should go on parole or not, you know, which I think is maybe a better system, you know. Okay, give the kid a chance. Maybe maybe you're eight years at, or so, you're telling eight to me 15 at years. 16 that the rest of my life has no purpose and i just can't get behind it and some of these people like they like to say we apologists and we think everybody should go i just centoya said it centoya said it and i heard it she was like at this parole hearing she was like i i don't want to be defined by the biggest mistake of my life like i understand things have consequences but at 16 with all the shit that you was dealing with you know what and i'm all saying all you're thinking is survival and if i don't go back this man if i don't you know any mistakes i've made that i've been able to get out of because i've had the resources the knowledge and the money to mm-hmm. fucking get out of it like i just then a friend of johnny's family comes up and she's like listen we love Johnny, we miss Johnny, and nothing is ever going to bring him back. I just hope that if y'all let this girl out of prison, I hope she truly is remorseful. And I hope that she truly has changed because we lost a wonderful person. Parole board, they came out 
and they voted, and I guess there were six people on the parole board, right? So, two people vote, and they say, commute the sentence, give her 15 years like she asked for, let her get on parole. Two people say, mm, 15's not enough. Give her eligibility for parole 2029, she will have served 25 years, then she can call it quits. And two people say, deny the application altogether, mm-hmm. leave her in jail, or deny the appeal altogether, leave her in jail. And so at this point, it's just up to the governor. Right, because all of those are just suggestions. Suggestions. On January 7, 2019, she's 30 years old. Her lawyer comes down to see her, and he greets her with a hug, and he's like, I don't want any suspense, girl. They've decided to commute your sentence, 15 years. You're up for parole in August. And she's like, oh, my goodness, this is unbelievable. She cries, they cry, they all cry together. It was like, the only thing is you got to go to the transitional part of the prison for the rest of your time, which is like seven months. And they're going to get you ready for life on the outside. Then you'll be on parole for 10 years. (laughs) 10 years? Mm Mm-hmm. These parole times be so fucking long. Like McMill's, his parole was long and his judge was tripping, boy. So on August 7th, 2019, a day after the anniversary of the murder, um, she was released from prison. And y'all, she found love at the lockup. Did you hear how they met? Yeah, I'm about to tell the story. Okay, go ahead. Wow, she got married very shortly after getting out of prison. And if you want to know how, it's because they've been dating since she was in jail. I think they met 2016. After that whole Rihanna post. After the Rihanna post, mm-hmm. right? So um, he says he's in the studio or whatever the fuck, got writer's block. And he's like, his name is Jamie Long, okay? Now he says he was like a stand-in for Pretty Ricky. He's like, I was going to say because he really wasn't came, in Pretty right. Ricky. But I also have seen some of his old songs that are horrible. This man, Mr. Jamie Long, is he he was a stand-in for Pretty Ricky. Then he turned into a Christian hip-hop artist. And then he turned into a businessman. There's he, some R&B, solo R&B in there. Somewhere in there, somewhere along the way he's been to jail. But he lives a life for the Lord at this point, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, he As used to He used to be married to Miss... Pamela Long from Total. They got divorced in 2014. Rough estimate. Um, But he said he was in a studio and he had writer's block and he was watching TV. He's like, I don't really watch TV. The TV was just on. But I seen that there was this documentary coming on and the documentary was about Centoya. I think PBS did a special. Tried to watch it. They told me it's not available in my area. Whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's PBS. <laughs> Right. PBS is free for everybody, and they Supposed told me I to could be. not watch it. I was so upset. But they also, PBS is very strict about the county. He says, he watched the documentary. He was like, oh, it's like an hour or something or two hours. He's like, I'm not about to finish this thing. He said, I sat there and watched the whole thing. He said, and it just really moved me, her whole story. He said, and then God told me to write her a letter. He was like, what? He was like, but when God te- when God speaks, you listen, you know? So I wrote her that letter, and then God told me to burn the edges. So I burned the edges, and God told me to put the hashtag. So I put hashtag free Centoya, which they think is amazing because they're like, 
people have put a lot of hashtags, but he did that before the hashtag was even a thing. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so basically he writes her saying, you know, God told me to tell you that you're getting out of prison. And she was just like, everything he said was so prophetic. And they just start kept writing from there. And they ended up falling in love. Mm -hmm. She was like, she would talk to him as long as she could. But of course, they were on scheduled times. And she was like, it was very hard dating in prison. You know, sometimes we'd be on lockdown and he wouldn't hear from me for a couple of days. They banned him from the jail. He went to go visit. He said the first time I went to go visit her, it was fine. The second time I went to go visit her, they were doing shakedowns. And his friend was in a car and they was like, oh, you can't come in here because we need to go search you. And it was like, they searched me. They don't find nothing. And they're like, oh, well, we found weed in your car. And he was like, no, you didn't because I don't smoke. And they was like, well, your friend is doing something. He's parked in the wrong spot, so you're banned, and you can't come back for two years. Man, two years? Like a year and a half or some shit. Like, he was like, he was like it was very hard. Like, he's like, I couldn't see her. I had to wait and talk to her on the phone. They were being fucked up about letting me see her like shit was just hard mm. but he gets out he marries her she'd be like he so believed in in this in them so much that he was living in texas before she even found out that she was being released he moved from texas to tennessee to be with her mm-hmm. he was in love honey I, if that ain't the lord i don't know what it is that's all that's all I can do. Girl, and then Pamela comes back and she was like, Centoya, watch your back, girl. He is a snake, he is a dog. Excuse me. He is a snake, he is a dog. Like and Jimmy was like, Listen, she's bitter and she don't want me to be happy, but we can't let her block our blessings. We know that what God has for us is for us and can't nobody stop God's plan and God's path. Centoya was like, Listen, what I do is I'm on my business. She was like, I don't. Centoya said, during her time in solitary, when she was 18 years old, she had a lot of time to think. And she was like, I can't let these bitches bother me. You know what I'm saying? I've got to stop letting. She said that's when she learned the most about herself. And she couldn't, like, just keep letting. She's like, I didn't want to be around people who were doing the wrong thing. Not only because I didn't want to get in trouble, but I no longer wanted to be associated with these people. You know what I'm right. saying? She's like, I just I had to stop letting other people affect my shit. You know, she's like, so she was like, I, I, I got past my issues. I don't have trust issues with men anymore. So if this man tell me he loved me, he loved me. That's a very serious accusation. You know what I'm saying? So if his ex-wife is telling the truth, that is de- definitely something to take into consideration. But if he's not doing anything to her, I'm happy about it. But if she, she deserves if a she, break. If she show, but if ex-wife so chooses to press charges against her ex-husband, then the courts will decide. Ain't no pressure charges. This was years ago. I'm just saying. They said, they said she said that because she didn't want to let him go. She said, or some friend of Jamie's was like, Jamie told me not to say anything. She wrote some anonymous letter to somebody. Jamie told me not to say anything, but I just can't sit here and watch his name be torn through the mud. And I told him he needs to stick up for himself, but he he wants to just let God handle it. But no, he just filed for the divorce, and she wouldn't sign the papers, but she was a lesbian and didn't want to be outed. And she didn't even live with him throughout the duration of their marriage, but wouldn't sign the 
the divorce papers. It's a mess. It, it sounds like a whole mess. And then why I got Centoya in this mess, girl? But Centoya was not bothered. She was. She said, "I know this man loved me because the amount of time we talked." She said, "This nigga spent money on me, okay?" He said, "I spent a good twelve thousand dollars talking to her on the phone." Money don't mean you in love with me, but okay, I get what she's saying. I'm, I'm, I'm on them prison to... calls, boy. Them shits is expensive. They add up quick. I'm not rocking. I wouldn't know. I am not. I am not the hold you down type of bitch. Do you remember when Redacted went to jail and Redacted's mom was like, "Oh, you should call him," and I was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and I was like, I am not the hold you down type of girl. Like, I first of all, him and I broke up. Second of all, he's in jail. What can I? What can he do for me? And what can I do for him? When I thought I was going to jail, and I was in college, and you're, I'm in college, you're in jail. What can we do for each other? When I thought I was going to jail, I was definitely asking niggas if they was gonna hold me down. No, because you didn't call me, friend. You knew I didn't have no money. (laughs) I would have held you down, but girl, I'm gonna call you. Listen, once a weekend. I was like, will you write me? Will you send me letters and call me? You could have sent me art projects, friend. A little something on my books, please. Let me get my big texts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Centoya wrote, now that she is free and she is married and she is happy, she went on a book tour because she wrote a book called Free, C- free Centoya. My Search for Redemption, which is where we got a lot of main of the source material for the show. She that in the Netflix documentary. What is that called? And then there's also the Netflix documentary. But here's the tea on the Netflix documentary, y'all. Mm-hmm. She did not authorize the. She was sitting at home with her husband, flipping through the Netflix and the Hulu's and the the Discovery Pluses and all that stuff. And she said, "Is that my face on Netflix?" The guy that did the documentary for the small film festival sold his footage to Netflix so that Netflix could put the documentary together. And Centoya did not know about it, nor was she had any input. She wasn't able to make sure that the story was told in a way that she wanted it to be told. Because I have to say that the Netflix documentary did kind of rub me the wrong way. In what way? Like, it definitely what about was it? giving me... She wasn't the actual victim that she was as a child in so? that situation yeah got? but i also think that it could have been just how stoic she was because of the fact that she was trained and seeing that and then hearing her book reading her book whatever i heard it and i read it uh seeing that and then seeing her book i can tell that maybe that was just that training that those lawyers had i think her it, under. i think it was because she said in a documentary she was like you know I'm young. I'm sitting here. And she like, was a popping off. Like, her past shows that she had a history of popping off. And she's, she's like, I'm young, but they're telling me that, like, my attitude here is going to determine the rest of my life. And she was like, so I'm, I'm frustrated hearing the things, and I'm scared, but also I can't show any emotion because they might take it the wrong way. She said, I ain't know what to do. I just put my head down. I ain't know what to do. Um... I think one thing that I really enjoyed from it, talking to the mother, she said she just remembers this phone call with Centoya, and she was like, she's just grown so much. And she says the biggest change in Centoya from her, like, at 30 
from where she was at 16 mm-hmm. was um was caring about how her actions affected others and her mom was like I, I feel like that's very big of her and that's just a huge change she was like she's just kind of contemplating and she's just like you know thinking about the victim's family like what I did still affects them. It's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Like, right. shit that I do affects other people. And I don't want to be affecting other people negatively. Right. Um, And I think she because just... she can't bring that person back. She can't. And I think know? from there on out, she just tried to make the most of her time in jail to make her life be worth it. She got two degrees. And then in one of her, one of her classes, she had to write a t- term paper. She did it on sex trafficking. She wrote research and personal experience and Mm -hmm. how to prevent it and with her parole she said her parole she doesn't have a lot of the conditions that the other people have but one thing she for sure has is that she has to maintain a job and she has to do community service and she says i don't mind either one of those one her job is as an author yeah so her job was to do book tours so i bet she didn't mind um and she was like as far as the community service she's like that's where my heart is she's like i'd probably be doing that anyways she works with this she was at the time she was working with this group called epic girls and it was just a mentorship program she was like we go to girls who are in the system in juvenile even sometimes at high school before they even get to that point and you know try and talk to them i've been in this place you don't want to go down this road you know let me show you there's a better way, teach you how to deal, teach you how to cope, you know, mm-hmm. shit like that, which these people need, you know what I mean? It's a lot of times that these people not having somebody giving enough a fuck about them, you know? Because, um, yeah, her mom loved her, but she was going to the school, and all the schools saw was, girl, ain't nobody trying to be bothered with you and your badass, you know? Right, somebody was just trying to, they saw her as a problem, and they were trying to push that problem off to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, says somebody being like, this child needs the attention from me that I am willing to give because I'm it's my job mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be my passion you know she's also was trying to start a nonprofit with her and her husband mm-hmm. she's trying to bring awareness to sex trafficking um, I know she partnered up with the uh, TI to do a what are those things called that's rich <laughs> hold on let me I'm getting into that she partnered up with T.I. to do a PSA announcement about sex trafficking. And they they had this whole episode on Friends and Family Hustle. And, you know, they had everybody saying part of the thing. They had Centoya on it, Toya, Monica, uh, Tiny, all of them sitting here. You know, you got to stop trafficking. You know, because in Atlanta, it's huge. We're yeah, like, it's really bad. Aren't we, like, number one in America? Aren't Yeah, and aren't Tiny and T.I.? Yeah, so that's the thing. Right that's the thing. When that news came out, I watched this documentary when it first came out. Mm-hmm. So I already knew the Centoya Brown story. Seen the Friends and Family Hustle when they did the uh, PSA announcement or whatever. So when they came out and they was like, T.I. and Tiny, you know, have this whole little sex dungeon and they selling people and keeping them away. Like, I was just like, but Is just this one big cover up. It's crazy because T.I. was literally, you can sit there and he had Centoya on his podcast and he was like, I had to jump on this story because the idea that these women are being, you know, he's like, I got daughters. And the, the the idea that these women are being sold and having sex against their will. But he's and obsessed abused. with his daughter's hymen, so what? <laughs> That's not this podcast, but so... Uh, 
let's not talk about that's not this podcast but yeah i definitely that definitely when i heard that news it definitely threw me off because of this story Mm. he was so involved in it i was like ain't no way like i ain't trying to call these niggas a liar but this nigga was just advocating against this shit i mean but let's bring that's it what back let's bring it let's, let's say let's bring it back to murder if a motherfucker kills you they're more than likely the person that's on your fucking search team that's how it is that's how it is all right this is the end of the story if you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere where you're listening right now you can have your podcast there i promise for real and it's free and you can make some money off of your podcast for free free money free money is out there just go get it by starting your podcast today streaming october 6th on paramount plus first place i learned about death was a pet cemetery dead things buried in that land will come back there's something else something's wrong with timmy He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something is talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. All right, y'all, it's time for. Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. There's a couple of things that she could have changed. Okay. One. She could have demanded that they stay at the hotel room. I don't know how that would have worked out, you know, but I think first, the first moment that she knew she fucked up was being in that man's house because that's what made her feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, his gun collection, his property. You didn't have no way to get back, so you stole his truck. Um, so I think that's one. I think two, if he was going to run out, it's just the life that she lived though you know they're like they try to say it was staged because she took the truck and she took the money but i'm sure she's not near where she was supposed to be and she was sent out because cut said she needed to bring her lazy ass and go get some money so Mm -hmm. was she supposed to show up empty-handed it was probably that was probably threatening to her life right to come back empty-handed, you know, she should never, she should never went over to that nigga. She should have stayed in her her ass in the house and not ran away from home in the first place. I didn't do it, but if I did, I would have turned on Cut quick because that was the big thing. Cut was twenty four while she was sixteen, and they were like, "Listen, he is an adult. You are a child." And she did not want to turn on him to the point where Kathy, her attorney, and it's those toxic relationships, those one where you really think that you in love. And really, that person didn't give a fuck about you because while they were interrogating her, we forgot to say this, Cut was in the other room singing like a canary, telling everything, making sure that she was done in to the point where her lawyer had to sit her down and was like, okay, we need to do a pros and cons list about this nigga. Look, the cons are outweighing the pros. Let's stop calling him. Let's start talking about the fact that you being with him is not okay mm-hmm. and i guess because at 16 i knew that that wasn't okay it's different it's when you don't have that arrangement that's love it's a lot of girls who be like this person said they want to take care of me and this person you know gave a fuck 
Right. This person told me I'm special. And I mean, and it's always those like nasty, toxic relationships that it's really hard to get out of. Like, take it from the kid. Like, it's it's really hard for you to be like, actually, I am worth more than this. Mm-hmm. More than you calling me your bitch all the time. More than you being like, oh yeah, you a slut all the time. More than you telling me that. More than the fact that you can't take care of me. Realizing that every single promise that you fulfilled is not coming true. We going to Vegas where? You using this money to sell dope, to, to buy dope so that you can sell dope where? You know, I had to tell my sister, um, my youngest sister with her previous boyfriends. I was like, just because, you know, she went from... Don't be out here telling folks business. I'm, I'm trying to say it without telling folks business, but... She could have had some better picks, but basically what I told her, I was Couldn't like... Couldn't we all have had better picks? Yes, but it's like she didn't realize it. And it's like, I would be like, this nigga is not it. And she was like, well, at least he ain't doing what this nigga's doing. And I was like, just because he's not as bad as the last doesn't mean that this is as good as it gets. Like that's not always necessarily the case, but like you always know that maybe this is not your end goal, but at least we at least my self worth is coming up. I mean, and at least it's coming up, but like, and it's a journey for people. It went from like a nigga who talks shit to you to a nigga don't necessarily talk shit to you, but he cheat on you, have babies on you, or whatever. But it's like ah, but he talks to me nice, and it's like just because it's better, like you have to understand your worth and your value. And I think when she got with this. With her husband, she was like, I feel worthy. I feel valued. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, like, you, you have to understand just because it's better than the last, you really have to evaluate. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, this is the love that you're proud of. Yeah. I, I want to love. You know, I want to be in love with someone I'm proud of. You know what I'm saying? Not somebody where half the shit you do, I got to make sure I don't tell because they're going to look at you funny when they come and be like, oh, but that's just him. I don't want somebody I got to make excuses for all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Also, I feel like. I definitely wouldn't have been running. I don't know. I definitely probably wouldn't have been running away from them detention centers. Like, girl, you just made it worse for yourself. And they're able to use those against you while you're still in juvenile court. That was another thing, right? She also, she told the night of the interrogation, she told everything. And she lied about her age. She lied about her age, which is one dumb because you're going to have more leniency as a minor. Right. Like, they don't give a fuck about your grown ass. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be wrong. Um, minors are at least kind of willing to give a second chance, but she should have said she was a minor. She should have got a lawyer. She should have got her mom up there to handle that shit. And I feel like as soon as they found out that she was no longer a minor, yes, that shit should have been but out. That should have should have been thrown out. Why I the fuck was it still okay to use? And then they said they said like ninety uh, percent of minors. Don't understand Miranda rights. No. And will tell regardless. And, and she and said, the thing with the not law, only did I not understand it, I was high and I was tired. They interrogated me at 3 o'clock in the morning. While well, she is high as hell. High as, she's like, I'm young. I'm high as hell. She was like, so I'm reading it. And now I can tell you what it say. But back then, I was just like, I thought I had to tell them. Like She was like, I know it says you have the right to remain silent, but it also felt like if I didn't I speak, talk. I was guilty. Exactly. And he told me he was going to give me a deal, her not knowing that the police is allowed to lie to you, sis, and they are not your friends. Nope. And they will set your ass up to Every close the case. And ignorance is no defense, you it's know? Not. You cannot plead ignorance. And that's why a minor should never be speaking to anyone 
without an adult or lawyer present mm-hmm. or any some adult with their best interest whether that be a parent or a lawyer period Alrighty, it is time for some reviews so mine is from katie kate schmiller and katie kate schmiller says the theme music reminds me of jason i love this podcast i am always in the lookout for true crime and while those are a dime a dozen we all know the hosts need to have personality these ladies do plus they cover a lot of cases i haven't heard thank you so much shout out to bo king for our opening music you can hit him up if you want your own things uh this one is from tift i'm assuming that's what that says keep up the great work ladies i normally don't write reviews but as i binge listen to my eighth episode i felt moved to show my appreciation i was put onto your podcast by my best friend which both gave you rave reviews oh best friends <laughs> who both gave us rave reviews and after one listen, I was hooked. I love the podcast, and it's just so refreshing. One focus, it's, sorry. I love the podcast, and it's just so refreshing having one focus on black crime told from black women's perspective. Like so many other things, you don't know what you're missing until you get it. The podcast world was missing you two ladies' unique and authentic view, and I'm so glad that you two decided to bless us with it. I've already recommended the podcast to more of my friends and family, and I look forward to continuing to binge the old episodes and excited about the new ones to come out. Keep being you, ladies. Y'all are awesome. Thanks, girl. Thanks. That's yeah, so y'all spread sweet. the word. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We're trying to, you know, we're you want to be 30K. on top. <laughs> we're trying to hit 30K, y'all. Okay, we're trying to get there. Let us help a sister out. Alrighty, um, let's wrap up this show. Woo! Y'all, y'all complained last week. So. so we gave y'all a long episode. Now, shut the hell up. So, uh, <laughs> if you want to keep up with Sisters Who Kill, if you want to email us, just say hi to suggest an episode. If you want ad space, you can email us at Sisters Who Kill Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill, on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Pod, on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Podcast, and join the discussion group taz do you have anything else talk to us we talk back shout out to our new cover art hey.